We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. My guest this week is someone with a lot of experience in the chess world, especially the United States chess world. He is the Director of Publications for the United States Chess Federation, which, among other things, means he's the editor of Chess Life. And of most interest, probably, to our listeners is he's the host of a new chess podcast called Cover Stories with Chess Life. Uh, The first episode is already out. And as you guys listen to this, the next episode will be coming shortly. So without further ado, Dan Lucas. Dan, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show, Ben. I've been listening to your show for a long time, and I really enjoy it. Oh, thank you. And for for our listeners, I just have to come clean. This is an encore presentation of our interview. Um, I had an audio issue. It's been I've been having a little run of bad audio issues. And Dan and I recorded a couple days ago, and it was a really good interview. And then at the end, I thought I said to him, I think this interview worked, but I just want to check something. And then lo and behold, <laughs> the interview didn't work. So we're going to we're gonna do it again. We're going to try to keep things fresh. Dan, if I make the same joke, you're still going to need to laugh. But thanks for your patience. Oh, you're welcome and no problem. And if I say anything dumb this time, just your listeners should know that I said something really smart the previous time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So Dan, so let's start with the podcast. Um, I'm super excited that there's another addition to the chess podcast landscape. And in your inaugural edition, uh, one could glean the formula that you guys are going to have. So it's called Cover Stories with Chess Life. And it's basically about the cover story with Chess Life. In this case, uh, my old roommate and good friend, Mike Klein, was your guest and did a great job, as expected, previewing the U.S. championships. And then later on, you guys have a couple other features. So could you tell uh, our guests what else, like what the general format is going to be? Right. Yes, absolutely. So the the main hook for this show is that we go more in-depth and behind the scenes with the cover story author. 
And uh, Mike was in some ways just an ideal first guest because he's the kind of person you can ask a question and he will give you a very well-formed, interesting answer, uh, you know, over you know five minutes. And so he makes it very easy. And, and that's why we uh, were very anxious to make uh, get it live with this U.S. Championship preview cover story. Um, you know, there's with a print magazine, there's always going to be material that's of interest, but that just can't fit into the printed page. And this gives us an opportunity to, to talk more about that. And then I didn't want it to only be uh, about that one topic. Uh, I wanted the podcast to have as much interest as possible. And so we added a couple of other features. Uh, most notably, I'll be talking to our senior digital editor, uh, Jennifer Shahadi each month, just briefly about what's uh, on tap for social media with the U.S. Chess Federation that month. Uh, also, what we have planned for the website in our U.S. Chess News section uh, on uschess.org. Um, and then also just a fun feature we uh, have sponsored by U.S. Chess Sales a $50 gift certificate for our cover contest uh, each each month. Uh, which will be a trivia contest. And I'll go ahead and tease, since it's been out there for a couple of weeks now, what this month's trivia contest was. And it's the April issue of, of with our U.S. Championship Preview is a gatefold cover, which is essentially a cover that folds out into a double-sized cover. And the question is, what was the last issue or the last time that we had a gatefold cover in Chess Life? And if you happen to know the answer and want a chance to win that $50 gift certificate, you can write to us at letters at uschess.org and give the issue month and date. And we will be doing a random drawing from all correct answers. Dan, you're supposed to tease the question, but not tell them where to send the answer so that then they have to go and listen to the podcast. <laughs> oh, what you see, so these these are the things you learn as you go along. Right. Uh, well, I'm, I don't, I'm, you know, we're, we're lo-fi over here. I don't have any contests. I don't have separate features. So you're already ahead of the curve as far as I'm concerned. And I do think chess fans, I should mention, I think chess fans... Uh, from all over the world. We've got listeners from all over the world to Perpetual Chess. And I know that your job is the director of publications for the U.S. Chess Federation. But these days, uh, there's such a chess has such a global appeal. And the players have such global backgrounds and play in so many places that even if you're not in based in the United States, first of all, this may... Um, you know, this may pique your interest in some American players. But second of all, we're in the U.S. Chess Championship preview. We're talking about, of course, Mike's previewing esteemed players such as Hikaru Nakamura and, of course, Fabiano Caruana, who's been making some news lately, and Wesley So. And on the women's side, we've got former guests like Nazi Pekitsi, um, Sabina Foyser. Uh, then there's the the young up-and-comers uh, challenging them. Uh, so... It's of, of broad interest, and it's well-presented, and it it went in a lot of depth. Uh, your interview with Mike was about 30 minutes, and then uh, Jen was on for probably 10 minutes, something like that. So a lot of meat on the bones, and like you say, a lot more information about uh, than is just presented in the article. Right, and really the goal here is to have something that's both a value-added item for our membership um, and you know, in trying to find a we're always trying to find a way to keep chess life, you know, vibrant and relevant in this digital age. And this, this seemed like low hanging fruit to me. And, but another way it's, it's something that we can use as outreach 
for people uh, who may not be familiar with Chess Life or who are not members of the U.S. Chess Federation. And, you know, this, <coughs> excuse me, will be a free podcast, of course. And the goal is to turn listeners into members of the U.S. Chess Federation. Yes, and if you join the U.S. Chess Federation, even if you're living abroad and you think that it may be cost prohibitive or time prohibitive to receive the physical magazine, you can get a digital U.S. chess subscription, which enables you to uh, download or read each chess life online. Right, and that's called our regular membership, and all those options can be found at uschess.org and clicking on the Join button. Yeah, and we'll talk more about Chess Life in a bit, but since we transitioned into Chess Life in our Lost interview from talking about the uh, talking about the podcast, I feel like this time we should switch it up and go into your background next, Dan, just to keep you on your toes. So, <laughs> so tell us how you, uh, how you got into uh, writing and editing about chess and where you're from and all that stuff. Well, um, so I live and work in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, I've lived in Georgia most of my life. Um, I had been in retail management at one point in my career, uh, but I was very unhappy in that and quit to be a stay-at-home dad. And while I was a stay-at-home dad, I started uh, dipping my toe into the freelance writing world. And eventually, I, I was living in Savannah, Georgia, and a new chess club started, and everybody was very motivated. This was in the early 90s. Uh, Everybody was motivated to get it going, and uh, as a freelance writer, I decided to start a newsletter for the chess club, and I enjoyed writing about chess, uh, and uh, it was well-received, at least in that very tiny community. And then when I moved to Atlanta, uh, just by chance at my local chess club, uh, one of the Georgia Chess Association board members uh, Steve Schneider was there, and he hooked me up with the current editor of Georgia Chess, uh, the state organization's newsletter. And I started, uh, eventually became editor of that. When I took it over, it was simply a corner stapled, uh, I'm not sure that it was mimeographed, but photocopied uh, newsletter. And I turned it into more of a magazine format. Uh, eventually, I won some awards for uh, Best State Publication from the Chess Journalists of America, and that put me on the radar screen for the U.S. Chess Federation. And when they had an editor position available, they asked me if I was interested. Uh, it was a telecommute position, which is what was I, I really needed because I still had young children. And that was in late 2005, and I've been here ever since. Nice. Yeah. And the chess world is is greater because of it. I mean, in chess life, uh, you know, you've got you guys have so many great writers and we, we will discuss some of the new features that have been introduced. So we're really enjoying it. And what about your chess playing, Dan? Uh, what's uh, what's the lowdown on your game? Well, this is probably why I went into chess journalism, because <laughs> I was never going to make a mark as a chess player. Well, I'm a, well those I'm who a, can't do are supposed to teach, Dan. Uh, you, you said you said that I did not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I'm a Class C player. Current rating is in the 1560s. Um, I don't play many uh, full length tournament games anymore, just because for me it's too much like taking my SATs. I really enjoy playing uh, online blitz on Chess.com and ICC, and that's that's fun. That's stress relief for me, and I do that on an almost almost daily basis. Yeah, I enjoy it too. I'm at this weird spot where I 
I want to get better at chess, and I've been vocal in the past about how at this moment I'm not studying a lot of chess, but it's definitely on my life to-do list, and we're not talking 20 years from now. Like Within the next five years, I would like to you know, make a concerted effort and study. But that makes me feel guilty if I just play Blitz without studying, but if I play Blitz with studying, then it becomes a bigger time commitment. So I'm on this uh, hamster wheel where it prevents me from playing any Blitz because I would hold myself to uh, an unrealistic standard if I played if I played it at all. Right. No, I, I understand that. And I, I do also enjoy studying. Uh, you know, I have extensive book collection here and uh, playing playing through a well annotated game uh, to me is kind of like a visit to an art museum. It, I get the same kind of feeling and enjoyment from it. Do you have any particular favorite game collections? Uh, you know, or it's, historical it, books. I'm putting yeah, you on the spot here, but right. No, there's not going to be any surprise here. Zurich 1953 is, is still a favorite. Um, and uh, I, I went very in depth into the uh, Carlson Karjak in world championship match. Cause I served as editor of that book by John crew Miller and Lev Albert. So uh, just because of personal collection because of what a deep dive i took into it that's also a favorite nice yeah and that was quite a quite an entertaining match and obviously we're looking forward to the the next match later this year uh and you did have another book recommendation in our uh lost episode so this one is not uh per not chess improvement per se but you said it was a, a formative influence in your uh career in chess so could you uh once again tell the story of this uh this famous book Dan? Right, right. Yeah, Searching for Bobby Fischer is probably my single favorite chess book. Um, I, it, it's almost directly responsible for getting me back into playing chess. I, I had been uh, a, a very lonely chess player growing up. I enjoyed the game a great deal, but my only opponent was my father because I lived in kind of a chess wasteland. Um, and, in, in, and then I ended up, you know, just as I got involved in, in college work and you know, becoming a young adult, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time for chess. And then one day I saw it on a bookstore shelf because it was prominently displayed as the movie version of Searching for Bobby Fischer was coming out in 1993. And I picked up the book and was just instantly hooked. Uh, Fred Waitzkin's writing was outstanding. The stories were just so entertaining and compelling. And I, I, in that bookstore, I probably read for about two hours and got through most of the book. Um, and that very quickly led to me uh, seeking out more information about the chess world. I found the U.S. Chess Federation and very later that year, I ended up playing my very first rated game uh, in 1993. It was actually against Taylor Kingston, who's a, a chess journalist and chess writer himself, who, who had a column on chesscafe.com for quite some time uh, and has, has done some chess books himself. Uh, so it's just kind of coincidental that, that he would have been my first rated opponent uh, when I was out of town on a business trip in Cincinnati. Yeah, and it is, I just like to echo that it is a great book. I'm the same age as Josh Waitzkin, and he was always uh, hundreds of points higher rated uh, than me. So I kind of looked up to him. So when the book came out, even as a kid, I was eager to read it. And Fred Waitzkin is is a very accessible and good writer. 
Uh, and I would say it would be of particular interest to young listeners, teenagers, uh, and uh, parents. Any any parents out there, even if your kids aren't into chess, uh, he just does an amazing job talking about like you know your kid discovers this subculture, and then as a parent, you have to navigate your way through uh, what um, you know how how and with what degree of intensity uh, a talented kid should pursue something. And it, it, it's also an interesting time capsule in that it just shows how different the chess world was in the 1980s to how it is now. Um, you know, now with the chess club in Scholastic Center of St. Louis, and, you know, as, as we're talking, the um, two rounds have been completed of the U.S. championship, which is you know, such a world-class event now, not just the top event in the U.S., um, it, it versus the kind of the dingy tournament environment that, that pro chess players were having to deal with in, in the eighties. And also, you know, if, if you've seen the movie, you know, the book is not the movie. I, I don't want to get into the cliche of saying that the book is better, but there's certainly more information in the book, such as a, a fascinating story of them visiting the Soviet union. Um, and, and, and so there's a, there's a lot to be recommended in actually reading this book. Yeah, I actually should reread it. I haven't read it since I was a teenager. So, yeah, I'm I'm gonna gonna move it to the top of the pile and check it out again myself. Um, so, so Dan, we've got a a handful of question questions from supporters of the podcast, and you've I can't catch you off guard with these questions anymore. But I still would like to ask them and and get your insight on them. Uh, a lot of them relate to the Chess Life magazine, which of course is probably the most prominent role of uh, all those that you have, at least until cover stories with Chess Life blows up. Um, so the first question is from Chris Wainscott, uh, who you know, who asks, uh, with the U.S. becoming so much more prominent on the world stage over the past few years, has what you look for in a story changed? Uh, start with that one. So, no, it hasn't changed. You know, we, we still look for something that is a compelling story that focuses on American chess and American players. And uh, we don't have that focus for just because of any kind of America's first policy. It's just simply we feel like this is what we can do the best and what makes the most sense for the U.S. Chess Federation. And it's worth uh, reminding your listeners that Chess Life is the official publication of the United States Chess Federation. So, you know, we're not a, uh, a private standalone entity. We, we have this definite connection to our uh, American Federation. Um, but, you know, we, we want solid writers that can tell a story, that can, can paint a word picture. Um, and, uh, you know, Chris, Chris did that well with his story. Uh, he, was, he wrote our cover story in the uh, July 2015 issue of Chess Life when he wrote about, uh, are we at a new golden age of chess? Uh, which, by the way, I think the answer is yes. And I think he made a compelling case that the answer is yes. Yes, I agree. Um, and another thing to mention about the magazine, as you as you pointed out in our previous conversation, is, uh, again, for international listeners or American listeners who maybe are members of the online site but not members of U.S. Chess because you don't play tournaments, um, Chess Life magazine is very, it's very chess-heavy, so you can learn a lot just by reading it. So, even if you you maybe are not interested or this is or maybe 
your primary if your primary emphasis is chess improvement, there's still a lot to gain, and it's especially good for class level players. Um, it things are explained very clearly, so it's a good way to to stay on top of what's happening in the chess world while also getting a chance to improve. Well, thanks for that uh, that little review, and and you're right. Uh, our average reader is a class level player, uh, and so it's very much geared towards towards them, and we try to have a very well-balanced mix of instructional articles. And a couple of our columns are very instructional, such as Lev Albert's Back to Basics. Um, But then we also like to have human interest stories, uh, history, book reviews. Um, We try to cover the gamut. One of the things about being a a chess federation is, you know, there's a lot of competing interests. You know, there's the scholastic world, correspondence chess, problemists, and we try to give them all their due in the magazine. Yeah. And just, of course, I feel compelled to shout out former Perpetual Chess guest. So if you enjoyed the interview with Robert Hess, uh, he writes a you know higher level column for Chess Life. John Hartman, of course, everyone loved him when he came on Perpetual Chess due to his uh, evident knowledge of um, chess history and chess books. And he writes reviews for Chess Life. There's also legends who I have not yet managed to browbeat into coming on the show, like uh, Bruce Pandolfini and Andy Soltis. So just a lot of good stuff to read. Um, and uh, so pivoting to the second part of Chris's question, he asks, uh, also, how does the emergence of a new magazine focusing on chess in the USA affect chess life? So American Chess Magazine is, you know, a welcome addition because just like you like to see, uh, you know, new podcasts come around. Uh, I, I think it's good for everybody when there is more chess literature around. Um, American Chess Magazine is a private organization, unlike our not-for-profit um, official publication. Um, and I, I, I think that they're more of a challenge to new in chess magazine than necessarily to us. I, I think we're can offer complimentary coverage. Uh, but you know, it's, it, to use the old journalist trope, it remains to be seen. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, it does. And, and like you say, I think there's plenty of room for plenty of chess media, be it podcasts. That's why I'm so excited about cover stories with chess life. Uh, okay. Another question from another supporter of the podcast, Alexi Root, uh, another person that, that you know well, asks, what should someone writing an article for Chess Life magazine do to make you, the editor, happy? For example, turning in the article early, just perchance. Uh, right. Uh, uh, so Alexi has been uh, one of my longest writers, uh, I think going back almost to back to 2006 when I started. Um, and this question from her makes me smile because Alexi invariably uh, turns in articles very, very early uh, and always beats any established deadline. And that is definitely a way to make the editor happy. You know, other ways are meeting the word count, um, the uh, and and but giving the bottom line is interesting copy. You know, we we want to be able to find something that's going to be interesting to our readers and tells a story in a new, interesting, and fresh way. So, Dan, in your perch as editor of Chess Life, I'm sure you get a lot of submissions, both from, both from authors that you end up uh, publishing and from those that you don't. And I was just curious, what's your, your general uh, opinion of the ability of chess players as writers? So I, I think our uh, pool of writers is probably the same as any other special interest group. There's, you know, there's the 
pros. There's people that are trying to break into the business and the people that are just completely solid right down the middle. Um, we, we have a, we have a wide range of people uh, like, and, and I think that our May chess life is probably kind of um, uh, typical in that our cover story for the May issue is the U.S. amateur team events. And the writers for that, uh, where we cover the East, South, West, and North events, range from Al Lawrence, who will be our second podcast guest, by the way, who covered the U.S. amateur team East. You know, he's a two-time Chess Journalist of the Year, uh, as voted by the Chess Journalists of America. But we also had writing for the South, Tony Burris, who's a high school student who was trying to break into, into chess writing. Um, so, you know, we're always looking for, for new talent, trying to develop new talent. Uh, I've, had a, I've had high school writers a few times write for Chess Life, and sometimes they do a better job than people who have professional freelance writer on their business card, um, which, you know, is not terribly surprising given uh, how, you know, what we consider the educational benefits of chess. Right. Um, yeah. And obviously that would be something good for young, uh, young people interested in writing to have on a college application, something like that. So yeah, anyone interested can, can try your luck trying to convince Dan to, uh, to publish your work. And, you know, generally I feel like chess literature is another field or chess writing where it's, it's moving in the right direction. Of course, we talk a lot about the classics, the classic chess books here, but I think the overall quality of writing, I would say, has risen over recent years. Uh, do you do you agree with that assessment? Oh, oh absolutely. The uh, just be, because there are so many outlets, and you know, certainly when you have uh, new website news outlets like our own U.S. Chess News and and Chess dot com um, and Chess Base, that you have so many people really exercising their writing chops and people only get better the more they write. Yeah. And as Mike talked about on Mike Klein talked about uh, on your podcast, you know, when, when Mike and I were younger, chess reporting wasn't really a job or maybe, it, you know, maybe one person did it. And now there's, there's a handful. And, you know, if you've got a writing background and then you get to practice a lot, you're going to get better. So yeah, one of the many ways that, uh, Things are things are looking up for the chess world. So another question that would have, was better probably when I could catch you off guard with it, but I got to give a shout out to Mike Shahadi, uh, you know my my role model in life, um, who who asks uh, when is Greg Shahadi going to be on the cover of Chess Life? <laughs> um, so uh, I'll, I'll try to recreate my answer there. Uh, uh, so Greg appeared in our. Uh, my best move column, which is on the last page of, of each issue of Chess Life, in which you were also a, a guest columnist for. Um, I believe yours was the July 2017 issue. Um, and you know what? As as soon as Greg uh, does something uh, that's cover worthy, uh, which kind of uh, cover worthy kind of uh, reminds me of a, a, a term from from a Seinfeld episode that I, uh, right. I, I, uh, I don't know how family friendly your show is. So no, we're not family friendly. Yeah. For those okay. sponge worthy, for those who, who are Seinfeld aficionados. Go yes. on. Yes. So, um, uh, if Greg wins the U S championship, I guarantee him a cover. 
Okay, there you go. So, so commissioner of pro chess league, just not going to cut it. <laughs> no, but we do cover uh, the pro chess league. It's you know, it's once again. I, I, let me use that as a springboard. It is talking about what an embarrassment of riches that we have that both simultaneously makes my job incredibly easy and incredibly hard because there's so many stories out there that are worthy of covering in chess life, such as the pro chess league. But, you know, sometimes I have to make tough decisions about what not to cover. Uh, And that's certainly a lot better than having to scramble to figure out how to fill the pages. And Greg's Pro Chess League is is an example of some of the interesting things that are happening that make this such a real golden age of chess for us. Yeah, it's it's an incredible thing. I mean, to see the pictures of like the the championship in particular, that they managed to stage like such a high quality event um, as an esport and got so many viewers. I mean, it's it's an impressive thing. And I'm, you know, I'm definitely proud of Greg. But for now, the for now, the back cover will have to do for now the Uh, the inside back cover. And um, I, let me give. We don't uh, need to feed uh, his ego in any event. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I give a plug to Eric Rosen, who just submitted a photo essay that's planned for the June issue of Chess Life, but it may get bumped to a later issue. Uh, but he did a photo essay for us from the esports venue of the Pro Chess League finals. Right. Yeah. He had that one picture where he caught the moment of the Armenian team winning the championship, and it was just an, an amazing job by Eric. So. Yes. Yes. Um. So what's coming up next? You mentioned Al Lawrence will be the next guest on Cover Stories with Chess Life. What's he going to be discussing? So with Al, we talk about the U.S. Amateur Team East in a little bit more depth. Um, And uh, let me back up a little bit here and say that these podcasts are planned to be released on the first of the month, which is when we generally release the new issue of Chess Life on our website and when the print editions generally start hitting mailboxes. Sometimes it's, uh, it's towards the end of the month, uh, but uh, the first of the month is a, is a safe bet. And you can find it by going to uschess.org, and it should be on the uh, front page of the website at that point. But if you don't see it, you can always click on U.S. Chess News and search for podcast, and you'll find it there. Um, he, so, so Al you know, and I had a lengthy discussion about the U.S. Amateur Team East, its history, some information uh, that he wasn't able to include in the print article. Uh, Coming up, the uh, June cover story is Fabiano Caruana's win as the candidates. And I've already set up uh, a date to talk to Grandmaster Ian Rogers of Australia, who wrote that cover story. Uh, Ian is generally covers our international events when we cover those in chess life. Um, and then the July issue will be the U.S. Championship cover story. And that will make Mike Klein our first repeat guest. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. So it's amazing, first of all, that you've got it all mapped out through July. But also, the, those are some exciting guests. Ian Rogers. Um, I mean, of course, all of them are great. But Ian Rogers, I'm sure, just has so much perspective on uh, the chess world. Right. He's another one. I suspect I can just ask a question and just sit back and let him do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, exactly. Those are my favorite guests, too. Give him the ball and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Excellent. One other thing we should mention about Cover Stories with Chess Life is it, I found it by Googling Chess Life Podcast, so that's another way to find it. But if you if you guys have your podcast apps, it's available on Apple iTunes and all that other stuff. But Dan, we also need to talk about the rest of uh, your work. So what does your... what 
other roles do you have as um, director of content for U.S. Chess? So, uh, you know, I, I tell people I wear the, the two hats, director of publications and Chess Life editor. And Chess Life takes up about 50% of my job, or about 50% of the time that I spend uh, in any given month uh, for what I do for U.S. Chess. But the reason it's director of publications is we have a whole laundry list of publications that the, the Federation puts out. Um, probably right behind Chess Life is Chess Life Kids. And that's a bi-monthly publication that goes to our members age 12 and younger. Uh, that's very much has a educational and beginner level focus. Um, we, we do tournament programs. Like right now, we're in the midst of creating our, uh, the tournament programs for the three spring national events. Uh, we've, as, as we're talking, the national high school is about to, to happen next week. Uh, and we're sending the national elementary school program to the printer uh, next week as well. Um, we do the governance work for the Federation, such as the delegates call, which is uh, essentially a workbook or a, a, of governance documents that we use at our U.S. Open annual meetings, uh, which this year will be in Middleton, Wisconsin. We create the the annual report. We also have uh, newsletters. Our regular members who don't get a print issue of Chess Life get a four-page newsletter called U.S. Chess Newsletter and U.S. Chess Scholastic Newsletter. Uh, those are mailed out because we want to have some kind of mail contact with those th- those readers that aren't getting print editions. So there's a there's a lot going on. Um, I'll, I'll actually share a funny story about my job title. When I was first approached about if I was interested in being editor of Chess Life, they, you know, they told me Chess Life editor, apply for Chess Life editor. And so that's how I prepared for my interview. And then I showed up for the interview and uh, it turns out I was actually interviewing for the director of publications position. Huh. Uh, I didn't know that such a thing existed. Um, <laughs> and that was news to me. And so I had to do some some fancy footwork. Uh, during that interview, but it, it all worked out. And uh, the only real issue was, uh, you know, when I started the job on day one, I didn't have a full sense of what the scope of the responsibilities were. Um, yeah, that that's funny. That makes sense. But at least you had half your work covered. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, make, make, um, make up the rest as you go along. It's a lot more than a lot of people do on their first day at a new job. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so in Chess Life for Kids, like uh, in my work uh, teaching scholastic programs, uh, sometimes I give them out as prizes, and the kids love them. Their eyes just light up, and uh, you know it's nice nice for them to have the the kids' perspective uh, on improvement and to highlight the the achievements of uh, of our young wizards. Um, so Dan, I know that your position, you're, I'm going to be talking to um, the the president and the director of U.S. Chess, among other luminaries, in a few weeks at the uh, live Perpetual Chess event. Uh, so you may not be, I'll be asking them questions along these lines too, but I'm sure that you're privy to some, uh, you know, um, macro meetings about the state of U.S. Chess. So how's it doing generally? So... Yeah. Things are going really well. We are uh, very rapidly approaching 100,000 members in the organization for the first time. 
Uh, and, you know, that's an ex- exciting number. For the, for the longest time, we seem to be stuck in the 80,000 um, yeah, n- number. And so uh, that 100,000 was kind of sitting out there. But we, we definitely want to do much, much more. Uh, I know when you speak to Carol Mayer, our new executive director, she'll have a lot to say about this. Uh, but, you know, the term she uses is expand the tent. Nice. Uh, to, to, to bring people into the chess world. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we've, Boyd Reed mentioned to me that when he did some research on Facebook, uh, he came up with uh, 40 million people that listed chess as an interest. And, and I don't think that was just the U.S. I think that was worldwide. But it just shows what the kid, you know, the potential is out there for us as a federation. Sounds like we need to put Cambridge Analytics to work on this. <laughs> uh, again, you said it, not me. <laughs> yeah, for, for those who don't follow U.S. politics, first of all, congratulations. And uh, <laughs> second of all, you can, you can look up what I'm talking about. But um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's doing great. And people like Boyd Reed and Carol Mayer and yourself are, are a big part of the reason why. Uh, so we look forward to continued continued growth in the future. Uh, just a one or two more questions, Dan. So obviously, as a, an editor, um, director of publications, but primarily an editor in the nuts and bolts of what you do, uh, you need to stay on top of other industries. So do you have other reading interests, whether they're magazines or books? Like what? How do you? What do you read for fun, or what do you read? What do you benchmark chess life to? Um. So, you know, it's interesting when you say benchmark chess life, I'll take that first. Uh, when I was always a fan of the Playboy interview, um, and people can make whatever jokes they want about that, but yes, I did read the articles. Right. Uh, um, and the structure of the Playboy interview has very much informed how we do interviews in chess life. Uh, I, I think they set the standard with that, and I, I, I like that very much. Um, I... Try. I, I do keep an eye out on what other magazines are doing to stay fresh and current. And the, you know, we previously talked about My Best Move. Uh, we started that in 2012 because uh, when we were doing the redesign of the magazine at that point, one of the things that occurred to me is we didn't have a fun feature on the last page of each issue. And almost all magazines do that now. It's just something lighthearted. It's usually personality-based, um, you know, you know, new in chess is, uh, has their column just checking. Uh, and I wanted something along those lines. And my best move uh, was what we developed. And that's a column in which people talk about uh, what their best move was, either literally on the chessboard or figuratively in, in life. Um, some of my, my, my personal reading, I almost entirely am, read nonfiction. I, I love to read about um, science. I'm, I'm a fan of the writing of Brian Greene, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, I, lis- I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I, I, I like the Adam Carolla show. I listen to that on a daily basis. I listen, you know, I'm a big NPR fan. Um, so, so yeah, I, I would say wide ranging. Um, Excellent, as any good editor should be. Um, so Dan, I think I might be out of uh, questions. Um, 
I think we covered all the broad strokes, and of course, our main mission is so that people people are aware about. Um, I mean, it'd be great if international subscribers checked out U.S. Chess and see if you like it. Uh, and of course, the podcast cover stories with Chess Life. And I, I mentioned in our first recording, we don't know what's going on with uh, the full English breakfast. They, you know, they've been in, they've been in hiatus. I got to give them a shout out because uh, they're good guys, and I love the show when when it's going. And I compared them to the the Curb Your Enthusiasm of Chess podcast because with Curb Your Enthusiasm, you never know if they're going to make another season. But if they do, you're you're happy to have it. So we'll see what happens with that. But in in the meantime, I'm really happy to have some. I I don't have to hear my own voice now when I want to listen to uh, to chess content while I'm driving around and, and you're putting out a great product. So um, as you probably know, Dan, my last question is going to be, what's the best way for, for listeners to reach you? So you can always reach me uh, via email at dlucas at uschess.org. That's D as in Daniel, L-U-C-A-S at uschess.org. And I try to respond to all email within 24 hours. Wow. Now you're really uh, setting the bar high. Okay, (laughs) cool. Well, Dan, thanks again for your patience with my brain fart audio issues. Um, I really appreciate appreciate it. And thanks for all the work you're doing for, for U.S. Chess. Well, Ben, it was a pleasure being on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the kind things you had to say about U.S. Chess and Chess Life. Uh, and again, you know, I'm a fan of your show too. Um, and, uh, I agree the, the more chess content we can get out there, the better it is for all of us. Yes, exactly. Okay, Dan. Thanks again. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Special thanks goes out to my Patreon and PayPal perpetual partners. Without the generous support of the chess community, perpetual chess would not exist in its current form. I would like to thank Adam Vrancoulge, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Bonastia, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, Jen Shahadi, Jens Green, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Lorraine Dore, Matthew Passy, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randall Temple, Ricky Grahava, Rob Lazorchek, Robert Steiner, Tatyava Brahamian, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella, Victor Vrankouz, Zhao Cheng, and last but not least, Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks, everyone. I'll catch you all next week. Podcast Network.